0: Hello and welcome to The Watershed Investigations, Tales from the Frontline of the Water Crisis. I'm Rachel Salvage and I'm here as usual with Liana Hosea and we're going to dig deep into the intractable problem that is Forever Chemicals. But first up we're going to give you a quick briefing on Forever Chemicals. It's going to be short-ish and relatively painless, I promise. And then as Liana was away, I'll be talking to US lawyer, Rob billott who first raised the alarm on Forever Chemicals in drinking water, and who has compelled manufacturers of the substances to shell out more than a billion dollars in settlements. He's a very big deal. So much so that he's been played by Mark Ruffalo in the Hollywood movie, Dark Waters, which is well worth a watch. Anyway, we are also gonna be speaking to Kyla Bellant, who used to work at the US Environmental Protection Agency, and who has herself been impacted by PFAS chemical pollution. But first, the briefing.
1: Have you got waterproof clothing, a non-stick pan or a taste for delivery pizza? If so, the chances are that you've been in contact with a group of chemicals called perfluoroalkyl substances or PFAS for short. Thank God. <laughs> and they're nicknamed Forever Chemicals because they last for hundreds if not thousands of years and there's about 10,000 different types of these chemicals. They're totally man-made substance and they don't break down easily in the environment or in our bodies. I mean, they're amazing at repelling oil and water withstanding high temperatures and generally being virtually indestructible. But this means they're just building up in the environment and in our bodies too. This is a problem because some of them are toxic and have probable links to a range of diseases, including some cancers, thyroid and immune system problems. They're also in thousands of consumer products, firefighting foams, industrial processes and even medical devices. The UK Environment Agency says PFAS is ubiquitous in the environment. They're everywhere. In fact, it's the reason lots of UK rivers fail to meet standards for chemical health.
0: So, more bad news... Gird your loins. Uh, so they travel up the food chain and they keep being reabsorbed by your body once it's in there. So it builds up, it bioaccumulates. Um, and I'm afraid it's highly likely to be in your blood. It's said to be in the blood of virtually all US citizens. And where the US goes, we do like to follow. Uh, it's for this reason that the Royal Society of Chemistry has called on the UK government to bring down the acceptable limits of PFAS chemicals in our drinking water tenfold. They're also calling for a new chemicals agency to be set up to protect human health because they say what's happening at the moment is a little bit disjointed. And overall, the UK is really lagging behind the EU and the states in getting a handle on this chemical contamination and regulate it. So overall, the Royal Society wants to change a lot of that. OK,
1: gold star, if you're still with us. We've actually investigated PFAS contamination in the UK and across Europe. But we'll talk about more of those findings in another podcast. We want to hear now from our guest in America who is on the front lines of this crisis. Kyla Bennett used to work as a scientist for the United States Environmental Protection Agency. She's now the Director of Science Policy at the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, an organization which represents public servants who are working to protect the environment.
2: We are a whistleblower organization, so we only take cases that come to us from Federal state or even local public employees who work in the environmental arena and back in 2018 I was contacted by an EPA employee. Asking for help for a very affected community in Massachusetts and this particular community was very small uh, about 7500 people but they were next to a Department of Defense facility and their wells were incredibly contaminated with PFAS from the firefighting foam that the defense facility used. And the Department of Defense was refusing to filter the water, pay for anything. So we got involved, and ultimately, the DOD did pay for this filtration system for the town. So that started me down this rabbit hole of PFAS work. I probably work on PFAS about 80% of the time. There are so many people who have been adversely impacted. As I understand it, while you were investigating this case
1: uh, of PFAS contamination that you were just talking about, you decided to test your own water. I mean, you're also in the state of Massachusetts, but you're quite far away from, from this particular case. But what
2: did you discover... So I did test my own water. And I I was actually thought that my town, we have no DOD facility, no industry here, no firefighting training facility. So I was using my town as a control. I thought we would be clean. So I tested my water. And I also tested another town's water about 20 miles away that was next to a firefighting training facility. And to my shock, my town's water was worse than their water. And I couldn't figure out why we had so much PFAS in our water. And I started looking at the maps of Massachusetts DEP, our Department of Environmental Protection. They put out charts and maps about which towns had PFAS contamination in their wells. And I noticed this weird cluster of towns in southeastern Massachusetts, where I am. Couldn't figure out why we were all contaminated. And the only thing I could think of is that we had all been airily sprayed with this pesticide to combat mosquitoes because we're ground zero here for a very rare, but very fatal mosquito borne illness called Eastern equine encephalitis or triple E. So I asked DEP if it's possible there was PFAS in this mosquito spray that they were using, which is called Anvil 1010 and they said no and I didn't trust them so. I tested it myself and was not surprised to find PFAS in the anvil. That opened up a huge can of worms here, because EPA subsequently determined that the PFAS wasn't from the ingredients in the pesticide, but rather from the fluorinated containers that the pesticides were stored in. So the the PFAS was leaching from the plastic containers into the pesticide. And this is a pesticide that in 2019, the state of Massachusetts sprayed 2.2 million acres of this stuff. So we were basically raining this carcinogen from the skies all over our state.
1: That's just incredible. I mean, did that mean that you ended up drinking contaminated water or what happened?
2: I I did, we all did. We didn't know that our water was contaminated until I found it in 2019. And my town actually responded really well. They took it very seriously. They confirmed that we were indeed contaminated. They ran tests themselves. So DP gave our town a grant to design a filtration system. Now remember, this was in 2019. That filtration system is coming up online this month, so it took that long. It took four years to build it. But in that interim time, the town gave filters to anyone who wanted them in town that they could put in their house. And they also have a filtration system at our water department, so you can drive down there with jugs and collect PFAS-free water. Because honestly, you shouldn't be using it for ice, for coffee, for cooking pasta, for your pets for anything. So yes, we we drank contaminated water unknowingly for years. And I believe that all of the cancers that we're seeing in our town are probably the result of this contamination.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about those particular cancers and the concentrations that you found when you tested the pesticide? And, and, And was it a particular PFAS that you kept finding? or Was it a range of PFAS?
2: It, there were several PFAS that we found, and the fluorination of these containers results in the formation of about nine long-chain PFAS, including PFOA, which is one of the PFAS, of course, that Rob Ballot dealt with in his case in West Virginia and probably the most dangerous of all the PFAS. Indeed, in March of this year, EPA uh, issued some draft Uh, maximum contaminant levels in drinking water and they said there is no safe level of PFOA and that was one of the PFAS that we were finding. I myself actually was diagnosed in May of 2020 right at the beginning of the pandemic with a brain tumor, a very rare brain tumor. I had two brain surgeries. They immediately did all sorts of genetic testing and found that I had no genetic markers for this. There was no genetic reason. The doctors all concluded that it was from something environmental. And given the fact that I've always been my entire life so careful, we only eat organic, I don't use, you know, harsh chemicals or pesticides or anything like that. In fact, my husband and I, We built a LEED-certified leadership in energy and environmental design house. We were the first single-family home in the state of Massachusetts to build this healthy home. Um, So I've always been so careful, and I was shocked to find out that I had a brain tumor. And initially, the doctors were saying, "Uh, we don't think PFAS causes brain tumors. But now, more and more data are coming out, and there are actually some peer-reviewed articles that are showing massive amounts of PFAS in brain tumors themselves. And the Philadelphia Enquirer had a story about six uh, Phillies players, the Major League Baseball team, who were playing on artificial turf, which contains PFAS. And they all died of brain cancer. So there's more and more evidence coming out that this can be caused by PFAS. We had a nine-year-old girl in our town die of a brain tumor, several cases of pancreatic, cancer, breast cancer, kidney cancer, testicular cancer, you know, so all of these cancers that are linked with PFAS. It will be impossible for us to prove that our cancers are from this, but we, we certainly feel as if it is.
0: So what are your next steps in in trying to get some redress to this? Or is it, is it sort of an informational thing you're telling people about, it. you're trying to get things changed and regulated better?
2: Well, we're actually suing, Pierre and another NGO called the Centre for Environmental Health are suing Enhance, which is the company that fluorinates these containers. They fluorinate about 200 million of, of them a year. They have 11 plants here in the US and they are also have some plants abroad. So they are the primary fluorinator using this particular process, which creates all this PFAS. I think EPA's draft regulations on PFAS and drinking water. They're only planning on regulating six. And this is a huge class of chemicals. There's over 10,000 of them. So regulating six is really just a drop in the bucket, but it's better than nothing. So we continue this fight. Um, We're trying to get artificial turf band because it contains PFAS and if you think about it you're putting out acres of this plastic and this PFAS is just leaching off into the soil and the water so we're we're attacking it from a number of fronts but it's so ubiquitous it's almost overwhelming
1: your town is sort of one of like over 100 government entities town trying to sue some of these chemical manufacturers so it's really the the tip of the iceberg isn't it
2: i mean the scale of contamination i mean it's just huge it's astounding and it's actually i think there are over 3000 plaintiffs in that class action lawsuit that we're part of so it's municipalities everywhere across the country and it's not just the united states you know this is everywhere we may be farther ahead in testing and kind of observing where the contamination is but the problem Is everywhere. They're finding PFAS in the Arctic Circle. It's in our rain. And because they're forever chemicals, you know, they don't really break down naturally. Every day that we allow these chemicals to be released into the environment is dooming us for another decade because these things will stay in your body for so long. I like to liken it to climate change. You know, if we stopped burning fossil fuels tomorrow, we'd still have 424 parts per million of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere for decades before it started coming down. Same thing with the PFAS. If we stopped releasing it to the environment tomorrow, we'd still have all of this PFAS in our soil, our water, our rain, our food for decades before it starts coming down and breaking down. So it's really urgent that governments do something and do something bold and quickly. A really stark warning
1: there from Kyler. Now we're going to hear from Rob Billot, who is really the reason why we know anything at all about PFAS and the dangers that it poses. In brief, he took DuPont to court, the company manufacturing PFAS, and with the settlement paid for the world's largest epidemiological health study involving around 70,000 people, which showed likely links with PFAS exposure and numerous diseases, including cancers, they even made the Hollywood film Dark Waters about him. I was away, so Rachel got to do the interview with him.
0: Hi, Rob. Welcome to the Watershed Podcast, and thank you very much for joining us.
3: Oh, Thanks so much for having me.
0: We've been talking to Kyla Bennett, who used to work at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and she's discovered that the land around her home has been sprayed with a pesticide that contains PFAS, which she says leached into the pesticide from the plastic container that it was stored in. She's had cancer and she knows lots of other people in her community so who are suffering from it too. Of course, it's close to impossible to prove that one substance has caused a cancer, but this is something that you've wrestled with a lot over the last couple of decades and, and one. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved with the whole PFAS issue?
3: Sure. Yeah, we've been uh, working on PFAS issues. It'll be almost 25 years now this fall uh, when a farmer out in West Virginia was trying to figure out why his cows were dying after drinking some white foaming water coming into a creek next to his property. And when we first took on that case back in 1998, we had no idea that what we would be discovering would be the existence of PFAS, per and polyfluoroalkylated substances, these forever chemicals, completely man-made substances that hadn't existed on the planet prior to the 1940s, but over the next many decades had been used in all kinds of different products and had managed to get out into the environment, incredibly toxic, persistent, bioaccumulative. some of them carcinogenic. As we started digging into all of these documents, these internal files from the companies that were making and using these uh, materials, primarily DuPont and 3M, what we saw was there was a lot known about those chemicals. Going back many, many decades, it was a lot known by the companies making them, but they weren't sharing that information. Really, it was through the litigation that we started getting this information out to the rest of the world, and scientists and regulators all over the world now are finally starting to understand the scope and severity of the PFAS worldwide contamination problem. With these chemicals getting into our water, our soil, our air, the wildlife, and most importantly, us. And the more we learn about them, the more concerning they've become. We're seeing not only potential cancer impacts, but impacts to the immune system. You now are seeing litigation all over the United States. As people have found out about this and are trying to get it out of their drinking water, We see that in firefighters, for example, that are just learning that this stuff was used in firefighting foams, possibly in their gear, and you know they were never told about this. And it's not just the United States. There was a recent study done through several journalists in Europe that were finding these chemicals in thousands of locations. In the UK, there's been sampling that's finally beginning there as well, and finding these chemicals in the water and streams. It's really become a worldwide issue.
0: Yeah, we were part of that group of journalists that put together that European map. And uh, we've got lots more to come on that. I think the UK itself is far behind the rest of the pack in understanding the level of contamination that might be here in the UK. There hasn't been as much manufacturing as there has been in the US, but obviously it's been used. So it's going to be a problem here. Your story has been a, a really dramatic story and You've written a really gripping book called Exposure about it, and there's been a documentary and a Hollywood film starring Mark Ruffalo. Do you feel like in the U.S. at least that your work is is almost done?
3: So we are seeing the public speaking out in demanding that things be done to finally address these chemicals. I mean, it's taken us decades to get there, but we're seeing the laws being changed. Even at the national level, we're seeing the first attempts to begin regulating these chemicals or to begin phasing them out. And we're now seeing that begin worldwide as well. You know, these chemicals, they've been used in so many products that are sold worldwide and their fingerprints back to these same companies. At the end
0: of June, 3M, which is one of the PFAS manufacturers, announced it had reached a £10 billion settlement with a number of US public water systems that have been affected by PFAS. It said it's going to fund testing and and treatment of any contamination. How did that, that case come about, and do you think that settlement goes far enough?
3: As the story had finally made its way out in the United States that these chemicals, unfortunately, were in the water likely all over the country, particularly from things like firefighting foam use outside airports and military bases and fire stations, When cities and towns all over the U.S. started finding this in the drinking water, that was a whole new wave of litigation. And we've been helping cities. We've been representing a lot of those cities and other water providers to try to make sure that those costs aren't passed on to the taxpayers. In other words, the victims shouldn't have to be paying to clean this up. And so we've been trying through this litigation to make sure that the companies who created the problem are held responsible so there have been years of litigation here in the U.S., and as you indicated, uh, we were actually about ready to take the very first case to trial for a water provider, alleging that these chemicals were in their water from firefighting foam. And right before the trial, um, we were able to have a fairly large settlement being announced with DuPont-related companies for about $1.2 billion, and then shortly after that with 3m for and up to, up to another 12.5 billion these are settlements being proposed just to address public drinking water supplies
0: uh, the last time we spoke you were preparing a case on behalf of every citizen in, in the united states relating to pfas you, can you tell us a bit about that please
3: as we finally got information out to the to the world about the harms from some of these pfas particularly the ones that have eight carbons which we call c8s And those are primarily PFOA and PFOS, uh, the two chemicals, for example, that were used in a lot of these firefighting foams. As that story finally got out, people started to finally agree to phase those out, the C8s, and stop making those. But what happened is people started bringing out these replacements. Very similar chemicals that maybe had a couple fewer carbons, maybe C6s, C4s, or, or maybe they added some, C9s or C10s. So all these new PFAS started coming out into the world. And what we were hearing from the manufacturers was, well, all the science, well, that's all on C8. There's no science telling you that there's any problem from these new ones. But the problem was, of course, that um, nobody was doing that science. The companies weren't generating the data. They were simply saying, you can't prove it's harmful. So we were trying to find a way to make sure that as all of us get exposed, as we're finding these chemicals in our blood, that there should be adequate testing and studies done, and there needs to be a way to fund that. So we had brought a case in 2018 um, where we were seeking to represent everyone in the United States has at least pfoa one of the c8s in their blood and at least one of these other PFAS. to try to get nationwide monitoring and testing done last summer we did get the court to approve the case to go forward for at least everyone subject to the laws of the state of ohio which is about 10 to 11 million people and the court was going to take briefing on what, what other people could be included nationwide And at that point, the manufacturers immediately tried to appeal it and stop the case. So we are currently dealing with an appeal and trying to get that resolved so we can see if we can finally move forward with the case.
0: That sounds incredible. Has has a class action that large ever been attempted before?
3: There have been nationwide class actions in the past, you know, but this certainly would be a a large case. But, you know, and this is an unusual circumstance. It's only that large because of the scope of the harm.
0: And in the EU, there's an attempt to sort of control, as you say, more and more PFASs are being made all the time and the, the molecules are tweaked and they're, they're put out again. And what the in e, the EU, they're trying to regulate sort of 10,000 plus PFASs that are out there as one class. Um, do you think that's a good approach? And do you think they'll be successful?
3: Most of the attention over the last couple of decades, has focused on a couple of these, PFOA and PFOS. But as those were phased out and folks started uh, creating these additional chemicals with fewer carbons or more carbons, what we've come to learn is there could be thousands now. They all share this common characteristic of having this man-made carbon-fluorine bond that simply doesn't exist in nature but it's a big group. We're finding out that there are lots and lots of these that have been created. So there's concern among scientists that look how long it took us to get to the point of finally being able to regulate a couple of these. Yet, as soon as we do that, the companies simply tweak them. They knock a couple carbons off or they add a couple and they claim that they're new and we're told we have to start all over again. In the meantime, people are exposed. Do we want to simply use people as guinea pigs and see what happens, or do we take a more precautionary approach and try to deal with this whole group so we don't have what we, what we call in the U.S., at least the whack-a-mole game, where you deal with one, and then the next one pops up, and you're told you have to deal with that, and then the next one pops up. People point to other cases where we've done things like that, like PCBs or dioxins where you deal with the whole group and not necessarily just individual ones. But that's a huge debate going on right now.
0: Thank you, Rob, for joining us on the Watershed podcast. It's been lovely to have you.
3: Thanks so much. It was a pleasure talking with you.
0: That's all from us at Watershed. Thanks for listening and watch out for the next episode.